Hi, I'm Monty Sharp, and I'd like to welcome you to the Gatekeepers Initiative. What in the world is a gatekeeper, you may ask? I'm so glad you asked. The world's gatekeepers proclaim that they're protecting their community, but in reality, they're elevating themselves by denying others entrance to the community by belittling and devaluing them. God's gatekeepers protect their communities through loving devotion to those around them. They're there to encourage that which is good and reject that which brings harm. So let's take a deeper dive today in how God is calling you to be a gatekeeper. Welcome back to the Gatekeepers Initiative. Missed hanging out with you guys. Uh, looking forward to spending some time together today and opening God's Word and seeing the solutions that He has for us for all the different challenges we have in life. Today we're going to talk about anxiety. I know for a fact that none of you struggle with anxiety because in our culture today we have no problems. We don't have anything to be anxious or worried about, right? <laughs> yeah. So God's got some great stuff that can help set us free. So we want to take the time right now to be able to get in and see what he's got to do. So you ready to blow the dust off your Bibles? I hope you uh, are willing to do that. Let's look in, the, in a passage, uh, Matthew 6, 25 through 34. And I'm going to read that and we're going to kind of open it up and, and uh, take a deep dive in it today. So here we go. Matthew 6, 25, it says the following. For this reason I say to you, do not be anxious for your life as to what you shall eat or what you shall drink, uh, nor your body as to what you shall put on it. Is not life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow, neither do they reap, nor gather into their barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth more than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single cubit to your, his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow, and they do not toil, nor do they spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory did not clothe himself like one of these. But if God so arrays the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more so do for you, O men of little faith? Do not be anxious then, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or with what shall we clothe ourselves? For all these things the Gentiles eagerly seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all of these things. So, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Therefore, do not be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Great passage. Great passage. But as we take a look at it, obviously the Lord talks a lot about being anxious in that. I want you to notice uh, verse 25 as it starts off. It says, for this reason. I think one of some of your translations may say, therefore. What does for this reason refer to? What does therefore refer to? Well, it refers us back to, to verse 21 where it says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I remember when I first read this the first time, I thought, gosh, I wonder if the translation wasn't properly translated because Basically, we, we really look and go, you know, it's wh where my heart is, that's where I'm spending all my treasure. That's where my emotions are, my thoughts, and, and everything that I'm really wrapped around in. And, 
And so the treasure is invested in that. And I went back and did the, the dive and, and, and looked at it and looked at it in the Greek and it's went, oh no, the Lord's saying, no, it's where your treasure is that your heart is. The things that you treasure most are the things that you give your heart to. Wow, that's a pretty scary thought, huh? What are you giving your heart to today? Well, that's, that's another question that we'll be asking later. He reminds us again that when we are treasuring or focus on the wrong stuff, then we'll find our hearts in the wrong place, far from Jesus. That's where we suffer anxiety and fear and heart attacks and heartaches and heartburn and brokenheartedness. Uh, anybody experience any of that lately? Uh, so Jesus addresses the problem in all of us. All of the things that we are prone to, to be involved in that involve anxiety and worry. And he starts in verse 25 and he says, don't be anxious. And then he ends in verse 34 and it says, don't be anxious. Five out of those 10 verses, he specifically talks about the problem of anxiety and worry. You think maybe that he was concerned about this making a mess out of our lives? He tells us there is no value, no benefit from being anxious or worried. Verse 27, which of you can add a single hour to your life by worrying or being anxious about when you will die or how long you will live? Let's be honest. Does worry and anxiety give us anything better in our life? Does it help us solve our problems? Does it help us conquer them? No, no, it wastes resources that could then directed towards victory and solutions. Yet how many times on a daily basis do we get caught up and worry and anxiety, especially in our bad economy and America's moral declivity, the problems that we experience at home with wives or husbands or kids, all those places around us. There's a lot to worry about, right? And yet Jesus commands us not to do that. But if I'm not worrying and being anxious about things, then it just might get worse. <laughs> I know you felt that way before because I have. Jesus tells us that our anxious thoughts change nothing. So to paraphrase what he's really being saying, knock it off. <laughs> Let's just make it easy and simple. Knock it off. It does no good. It does no value. It robs you. Let's unpack the word anxious um, from the scripture. The original language that the New Testament was written in was Greek. And the Greek definition for anxious says this. It says to draw in different directions at the same time. Being anxious is drawing us in different directions at the same time. That sounds familiar, huh? James 1.8 talks about being double-minded. A double-minded man is what? Unstable in all of his ways. When we are drawn in different directions at the same time, when we're anxious, it creates instability in our lives. And not just ours, but the lives of the people around us. It also goes on and it says to have a dividing, distracting concerns. Uh, when we bring all the concerns and everything going on in our life and we're dividing them and splitting them and worrying about them, it just creates anxiety in our lives. It's to excessively fixate my time, my thoughts, and my emotional enemies on things that are out of my control. And folks, let's be real. We're not fully in control with anything in our lives or the circumstances that we face, nor even the resources with which we have to face them. Collapse of financial institutions like the Great Depression or recent recessions, uh, natural disasters, wars, theft, pestilence, fire, COVID, uh, rust, moth, flood, death, disease. 
Any number of things can rob us of the storehouses and the well-planned resources that we have. Only Jesus is a sure bet. I had a friend of mine who is uh, one of the best building contractors that I've ever known. And he was amazing what he built. And he always loved the Lord uh, very high in his church. And, and he told me, he said, you know, I, I'm, one of my dreams is always to be in a place where I could have storehoused over a year's worth of income. So I didn't have to worry about getting a job, you know, because that's always a little concern where guys are out there and they're dependent upon people having projects and jobs for them. And even though he was the best and people sought him out, you know, it was still always in the back of his mind. Well, the Lord gave him the desire of his heart. And I remember when he came to me and said, you know, it feels so good. I've got storehoused over a year's worth of income. Uh, and I said, that's really awesome. And he goes, yeah, it just feels really good that I don't have to be be concerned about that. And I thought, well, that's a pretty cool thing. Well, it was really interesting to see what happened in his life over the next year. <laughs> the Lord literally dried up all of his projects. And he had no income for that year. It was just like the Lord saying, I just wanted to give you the desire of your heart to show you that that finance could be there. But I also wanted to remind you that the source of your peace was not the money in your bank account, but it was the one who provided that money, and that's me. And so quit um, trying to do this on your own and go back to just trusting me. I've always taken care of everything, have I not? And, he, and the guy said that was the best lesson that he ever learned, and he was so free after he had picked that up and, and got tied back into that in that way. So Jesus is the only sure bet in the house, and he reminds us, that we are not to treasure or be anxious about the things of this world or your food or your clothing or your material wealth, but instead treasure our relationship with him first and foremost. If he gave you life, won't he also give you what you need to sustain it? If you seek him and if he created your body, won't he also provide the clothing that's needed to protect it? If you seek him, he does this for the birds and the flowers. How much more will he do so for his children? When I'm anxious about getting temporal or material things in this world, then I'm unable to recognize and appreciate the abundant and eternal gifts of God. Where I spend the treasure of my time, my thoughts, and emotional energies, it's there, verse 21 says, I will also find my heart. When I allow my heart to be captured by an undue amount of my time, thoughts, and emotional energies, being focused on material things or perceived lack thereof, or on the temporal problematic circumstances of my life, I'm outside the sweet spot with Jesus. Jesus promises if I would focus my time and my thoughts and emotional energies in seeking him first and trusting him, that all the rest, and that includes the material things, will be added unto me. Then Jesus will get his rightful place in our hearts as provider and protector, as our God. And we get the blessing of those gifts that he wants to be able to give us. But when we steal his glory by trying to anxiously figure it out on our own, by trusting in our abilities instead of his, we most often end up with heart attack and heartache and heartburn and brokenheartedness. We must put our faith, brothers and sisters, in Jesus, believing that he is the rewarder of those who seek us. Hebrews eleven six tells us that. But all the things that are added unto us that we see in, in Matthew six thirty three 
and the rewards that he talks about in Hebrews 11.6 may end up looking different than our plans and the way that we think this thing should work out. His ways are higher than ours. He created us, and he knows what is ultimately the best path for us to walk in for abundant and eternal life. So trust him by seeking him, his will, and his ways first. You know, I, I give you an example of this. I, I really, when I sold out to Jesus, I really desired to, to know him and to do his will. I really poured myself into it. I was in the Word eight hours a day, five days a week for about three years. I know that's crazy. I was getting up really early in the mornings, and I would uh, listen to Christian teaching when I could throughout the day, and hitting Bible studies and discipleships. It was really crazy. And I remember going through a period of about six weeks where the Lord was getting me up like at three o'clock in the morning, and I was exhausted. I was just working 60 hours a week. I'm still a dad and, and a husband, and, and you know, trying to do all of this. And finally, I just said, Lord, I am so exhausted. I don't think I'm learning anything. It just seems like it would be better if I got a little more sleep, you know, or I could be learning something from, from what, I'm, what I'm reading. And it's just like this audible voice that came rushing into my head and said, you're learning obedience. Wow. I was blown away. I'm going, wow, this is awesome. It was not the way that I would have done it. It didn't make sense to me at all. But in reality, that's exactly what was happening. The Lord was teaching me obedience by getting me out of bed early in the morning to spend that time with him, even though I was tired and didn't think I was learning anything in the process. So, when you decide to seek Jesus first and let him add all this unto you, let him take away the anxiety, he may be doing something in your life that is radically different than the way that you think it should be done. But trust me, when you trust him in this, it changes everything. Matthew 6.33 is my lifers. It's my plumb line. It's my North Star, my owner's manual. It's a preeminent guideline of all of my life. Why? Because it's the exact polar opposite of how I lived all of my life before I started seeking Jesus first. All of my life, I was told I could do anything if I set my mind to it. And you know what? I pretty much did. I mean, I was class president in high school and student body president and leading all the plays and the football scholarship, uh, you know, outstanding um, athlete award, written up in Time magazine during that time period because I put together an anti-smoking campaign uh, that's, that we were uh, doing our own commercials and things along that line on. Uh, going up and down the state of California speaking in different TV stations and interviews and resolving social racial uh, unrest on campuses and you know, all these things going on. And it was like, wow, you know, you could do anything. And then um, I was going, people said, well, what are you going to do when you grow up? And I decided, well, I'll be president because that seemed impressive at the time. And, uh, and I really did kind of think, well, maybe that's what I want to do because I wanted to change the world. But what I didn't realize is that you can't change the world unless you change men's hearts. And I wanted to be president to change the world, but that wasn't going to be changing men's hearts. And, and you know, I, I was on that path and I got to know Reagan as 
and met, met him several times. And George Duke Majin, who was the governor of California, became a close friend, and governor of Oregon, and several cabinet members and, and senators. I uh, created the Committee 300, which was uh, ran all the ancillary events uh, for the Grand Prix in Long Beach. Uh, I've written up in New York Times and all these people all over the world called and said, how do you do these things? And I was the grand old age of 25 when all this was going on. Yeah, I was money sharp. I can do anything. From the world's perspective, I had it all. I had power and prestige and popularity and pesos. I kept the peace going there. I know, hope you noticed that and appreciated it. Um, I had a great family, but there's always that qualifying conjunction. But, but. The more I had of this, the emptier I became. And the more that people expected um, me to do more, it was kind of like being on this treadmill where I was running. The faster I ran, the, the harder I was falling behind. Uh, it was only after I started seeking Jesus first instead of my own course uh, counsel and abilities that I found his peace to replace my anxious efforts his abundance and provision to replace my comparatively lack. Jesus changed all of that as I saw him first. He directed me to turn down the $250,000 a year job and the new cars and uh, every two years and the expensive homes that went with it and the prominent position in New York City and Long Beach and Vegas. And instead, <laughs> to follow him into ministry and drive two cars that collectively had 450,000 miles on them. And and one that I broke off the gear shift and shifted with a pair of ice grips. I think you've heard me say that before. Uh, the house we were living in was pretty sketchy. Uh, having food in the cupboards was pretty sketchy. My parents were upset with me because I had all the opportunity to do these things. And, and I was forsaking it all to be able to seek Jesus and do ministry instead. My friends thought I was crazy. Wanted to be president because I wanted to change the world. Guys. You only can change the world by changing men's heart. And only Jesus can do that. Jesus knew the desire of my heart. But he also knew that I could never get there on my own efforts. Even as seemingly outwardly successful as I was, they were pitiful in comparison to what he really wanted me to do. And to the privilege that he'd given me and called me to. And that's working with teenagers and their families. And seeing them grow up to change the world in radical ways. I've been doing this ministry now uh, for so long, it's decades. And I have so many of the young people that have come up through our ministry that are, you know, working as vice presidents of major colleges uh, and major denominations, uh, overseas as missionaries, uh, on their ways to being Supreme Court justices of states. Uh, crazy, crazy things that people are doing major nationally known speakers that are helping people get their lives together and, and mentoring them. All of these opportunities that I've had to invest in young men and women that are changing the world around me. And I never would have ever figured out a way to be able to do that on my own. So when you seek Jesus first and, and choose to forsake the anxiety, trying to figure things out on your own, it's going to look different. It's going to be a little scary. But my brothers and sisters, I'm here to tell you, it is so very worth it. As I saw Jesus first, it was the way I needed to be, to learn to trust in his power and his provision in my life, to become the man that he wanted me to be. 
and to accomplish the desires of my heart. So I guess the question I have is, how about you? Are you ready to have the rest added unto you in a way that possibly is different than, than you would think or expect? Will you trust his love and his will and his ways for you? It's always the best. You need to quit being anxious and worrying about what you can't control and seek that sweet spot of intimacy with him and watch him make all, make it all better. Not easier. Trust me, not easier, but definitely better. Jesus is the king of the kingdom. So as we seek the kingdom of God first and his righteousness, that means seeking Jesus. And righteousness comes as we put our faith in him. Galatians 3, 6 says, Abraham believed and God reckoned it to him as righteousness. Romans 1, 17 says, the righteous man shall live by faith. It's Jesus that we need to seek first, putting our faith in him and him alone, not in ourselves. Why? Well, I'm glad you asked that. Colossians 1, 16 through 17 says, for by Jesus, all things were created, both the heavens and the earth, the invisible and the visible. In him, all things hold together. Only Jesus holds us together. Verse 20, it's through Jesus that we're reconciled to God, rendered as holy in righteousness. Verse 22, it's through Jesus that we are presented holy and blameless and beyond reproach. John 10.10 and John 3.16, it's through Jesus that we have eternal and abundant life. There is no other life apart from him. Verse John 5.12 says, he who has the Son has the life, but he who does not have this, the Son of God does not have the life. Acts 4.12 says, there's salvation in no one else. You can't say yourself. Nobody else can. It's through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross at Calvary that our sins were propitiated, satisfied, and expiated, removed through sacrifice. It's through Jesus that we are forgiven, that our sins are removed as far as the east is from the west to be remembered no more. Psalm 103, verse 12. Jesus is the one who will never leave you or forsake you when everybody else does. Hebrews 13.5. Hebrews 13.6 says, He is my helper. It's Jesus who, while I was yet a sinner, demonstrated his love towards me by dying on the cross at Calvary. Romans 5.8. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things to come, nor present, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate me from the love of God which is given and Christ Jesus, my Lord. Romans 8, 38, 39. Romans 8, 37. We overwhelmingly conquer through Jesus who loves us. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. In my weakness, Jesus makes me strong. Philippians 4, 13. Through Jesus, I can do all things because uh, he gives me strength. Philippians 4, 19. He provides all of my needs according to his riches and glories. John 14, 12. As I learn to believe and trust in him, I will do the things that he did and even greater things because he calls me to do these. Mark 9.23, all things are possible as we believe and trust in Jesus. Need I say more? Is it not overwhelmingly evident why we should seek Jesus first in all things? Matthew 19.26 says, with men it's impossible, but with Jesus all things are possible. So let's quit being anxious. Let's quit trying to do this on our own. Let's start seeking him. And better yet, let's seek him first in all things, on all days, in every circumstance, in every challenge, whether minuscule or major. Seek that sweet, intimate spot with him uh, who loves you. Seeking his will and his ways for your life, for your friends and for your family and for all the 
the dominion and gatekeeper responsibility that he has given you. Let's seek Jesus and his righteousness first. And you may say, how do I do that? <clears throat> I'm glad you asked. I'm going to give you three simple things that you can do on a daily basis that will help you grow in these areas. You ready for it? Get down, word up, and work hard. Pretty simple. Get down, word up, work hard. Why don't you say that with me? Get down, word up, and work hard. Wow, okay. So what does get down mean? Well, it's just simply saying that we need to be praying. Get down on our knees. It doesn't have to be physically that we do that, but just have that hard attitude. Psalm 34, 4 says, I sought the Lord. He answered me and delivered me from all of my anxieties. I love that. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 says that we are to pray without ceasing. That means always being in touch with Jesus. It's like my best friend is right there. and I'm in this constant conversation with him. And he is our best friend. We need to be crying out to him, Save me, O Lord, and I'll be saved. Jeremiah 17, 14. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication and thanksgiving. Let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. James 4, 2. We have not because... Mm -hmm, fill it in. We have not because we ask not. Jeremiah 33, 3, Jesus says to call on me, and I will tell you great and mighty things that you do not know. I know I'm overwhelming you with scripture today, but it's really good to have God's word speak this truth to you. So many blessings and benefits from seeking Jesus first instead of trying to figure this out on our own uh, and being caught up in all this anxiety and fear. James 1.5 says, If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men generously without reproach, and it will be given to him. Jeremiah 29.13, Seek me, and you'll find me when you search for me with all your heart. Will you get down and stay down until you're connected with Jesus, his will, and his ways? If you do, he will blow your mind in the things that he will tell you. Matthew 7.7, 7, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened unto you. So let's get down, humble ourselves in prayer, seeking him first, his will and his ways, and watch him blow our minds. But it's not just enough to be praying, getting down. We also need to be wording up, because Psalm 119.11 says that the laws of the Lord are a warning to those who hear them, and there is great reward to those who obey them. I love uh, Psalm 33, 6. It says, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Heavens were made by the word of the Lord. Can that same power not also make a way for me to have salvation from myself and my families and my friends? For me to be able to accomplish great and mighty things that Jesus wants me to accomplish? Psalm 119, 104 tells us, For thy precepts, from thy precepts I gain understanding. Psalm 19.7, the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Why does my soul need to be restored? Because it has been so torn and tattered by the anxiousness of my heart. Psalm 119.97-100, through 100, oh how I love thy law. It's my meditation all day. It makes me wiser than my enemies, gives me more insight than my teachers, and more understanding than the aged. 
Uh, John 8, 31 and 32, if you abide in my word, you're truly my disciples. Incidentally, abide means to make our abode there, to live there. If you'll abide in my word, you're truly my disciples. You know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Free to experience his great salvation and abundance of life that he's called you. Free to be able to make a difference in the world. Free to do the things that he's done and even greater things than that. God has called you to do this. Let's forsake the anxiety and put our focus on seeking Jesus by spending that time in prayer, by spending that time in his word. Psalm 119.11, thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee. God's word is the primary way he reveals his will and his way to us. So we need to seek him first on a daily basis and read it and study it and memorize it and follow it and obey it. The written word leads us to that sweet, intimate relationship with the living word, Jesus. So James tells us in James 1.21, in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. And faith is built as we read that word daily, trusting in the Lord. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, Romans 10.17. So let's get down. Let's spend the time in prayer. Let's word up. Spend that time in the Word of God, and let's work hard. Work hard. Not to win God's approval. Not to earn my salvation, because I can't. Uh, It's only a free gift from God. I can't do it. And trying to win His approval and performing for Him, jumping through hoops, is not where God wants us to be. Our righteous works are His filthy rags. But He does want us to work hard at getting down, at seeking Him first, at wording up, spending that time in the Word. It's the hardest thing that we probably will do every day is to spend time in the Word of God. The enemy fights against it. Our flesh fights against it. The world fights against it because they know that faith comes by uh, hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And if we have the faith of a mustard seed, we can say to mountains, move, and they will move, and nothing will be impossible for us. But it starts by spending that time in the Word. But So we have to work hard. We have to press through to be able to spend that time on our knees and spend that time in the Word. Jesus will give us his strength and his resources for us to be able to do that. But we need to have a mindset that says, I will work hard at drawing close to the Lord. James 1.22 says, Prove yourself to be doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. 2 Corinthians 8.11 says, Just as there is a desire to do it, so there must be also a completion of it with all of your abilities. You can't just desire it and talk about it. you got to do something about it. And Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. And that includes for yourself. Don't try to do it to be able to win man's approval, to be able to make yourself look better. Do it because it's the right thing, because that's where the blessings are. That's where you see great and mighty things happening in your life and in those lives around you that God has called you to be a gatekeeper over. John 3.17 says, if you know these things, to be true, you're blessed if you do them. And I love this in Proverbs 14, 23. In all labor, there's profit, but mere talk leads to poverty. Ephesians 6, 6 through 8 says, work hard. Remember, he will reward each of us for the work that we do. So it's time, my brothers and sisters, to forsake the anxieties of this world, taking our eyes off of all the circumstances that create that anxiety. And it's easy for that to be built when we look around us and put our focus and our eyes and our hearts back on Jesus 
treasuring him first and foremost in all areas and all things, spending that time talking to him in prayer, spending that time letting him talk to us as we word up, spending that time working together with him to do the things that he's called us to do. We can watch Jesus save us, uh, and first and foremost from ourselves, and from fruitless anxiety and worry that just robs us of what God has called us to do. Will everything be hunky-dory? Absolutely not. (laughs) But it will be better than it's ever been before. You'll see, experience his peace, his joy, his hope, his abundance of life here and now. For salvation is from the Lord, Jonah 2.9. Jeremiah 32.27, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too difficult for me? The answer to that is absolutely not. So, behold, if God is our salvation, let's trust in him and not be anxious. For the Lord your God is your strength and your song, and he will become your salvation in all areas. Isaiah 12, 2. Jesus will lead you from the darkness into his wonderful light. He's called us by saying, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Psalm 34, 8. Oh, mighty gatekeepers, God is calling you today to throw down your anxiety, to trust in Jesus by seeking him first and following him and his will and his ways wherever he leads. Let's get down, word up, work hard. You'll rock your world, and it needs to be rocked. May the Lord bless you and keep you. See you next podcast. So if you enjoyed today's episode, make sure you follow us wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss another episode of Monty Sharp and the Gatekeepers Initiative. Don't forget, each of us has our gates of influence in our lives that can radically change the world around us. Thanks again for joining us today. I'm looking forward to being with you again next time. May the Lord richly and wonderfully bless you.